0: nice first try every time every time first time every time apart from uh, those first couple of times they were there was a learning curve that's that's how the sausage is made you're not <laughs> supposed to tell the audience that audience you didn't hear that Keith he was lying uh <laughs> i just best. remembered it. we actually got it right every time um <laughs> so yeah thanks uh for joining me for another episode of the that chapter podcast uh it's always a lot of fun to do with somebody else rather than me just talking by myself because it's always more fun when you've you know, to be joined by a Pal, no matter what it is. Absolutely. It's great to be here, man. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. Is in a lot of heavy lifting there. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. So uh yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, so what's what's new, Keith? Uh, you know, I like to introduce with an anecdote because, you know, we're just shooting the shit. I don't like to raw dog it. I like to, you know, easy in, in. Ease in, gentle, ease nice in, and slow. Yeah. yeah. Get bit the, of kissing. Bit yeah. of kissing, bit yeah. of, you know, bit finger popping. All the good stuff. <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to bite the pillow. Um, so what's new with you? Because we, we often have this thing where we're, you know, save it for the pot. If you yeah, any yeah. any juicy morsels. Yeah. If I haven't enjoyed it, if it's just my ears. Hmm. By all means, let her rip. But if it's something the audience might enjoy, uh, you know, uh, let them hear it. Maybe they want to hear about what you got up to last night and your bowel movements and your sex life and everything. So that's the kind of stuff I would usually say, save her for the pot. Get down to the, the nitty gritty.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. To, to be honest, this weather has been killing me, bud. It is very hot. I think we're going um, through like a,
0: would you call it a heat wave? I'd call it a heat wave. All of summer is a heat wave. Summer sucks. By the way, I'm gonna turn off the light because it's very, very bright in here. For the audience to know, I'm we're in where I record videos. We're looking at the nice black wall I painted that kind of smells vaguely like puke because the paint is kind of disgusting. Um quick, I, this will be a quick episode. This will be a quick episode. <laughs> we're in, yeah, in exactly. Don't worry, guys. We're gonna get through this together. Um we've got my little pictures on the wall. Um yeah, and we're recording this on Tuesday, the 13th of June. Can you believe it? It's a hottie. It's a hottie out there. It is. It's absolutely sweating. B or B, you got to turn that light. Turn off
1: the lights. Yeah. This is the the problem with being Irish. If it's too bright, we are translucent.
0: hmm We have that delicious gray skin that is the texture of moldy wallpaper. It's very good. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, any cool horror-related things? Our, our little podcast friends might want to...
1: Horror-related that. things? Um. Oh.
0: I woke up in the middle of the night during the night. Oh, yes. People want to hear about your haunted house, which we talked about. In the uh was it the um, New Orleans episode? I woke up in the middle of the night night and I heard like
1: like a child singing and it was like singing like um Ring Around the Rosie. Terrifying it was my daughter but at like at <laughs> 3 o'clock in the morning that's not what you think that's not what you go to you think there's like a ghost singing in that's the middle
0: that's horror 101 it that's was some sick shit terrifying mm-hmm. kids are creepy man how did you stop yourself from like get, grabbing your baseball bat and just going like swinging for the rafters I'd be freaking <laughs> out I mean. how, how did I stop myself from going in and beating my child <laughs> very easy Mikey <laughs> <laughs> Clearly your house is haunted. Perhaps your daughter too. This is how all the movies start. (laughs) Starts with the kids. They get possessed. We've seen this before. We're literally in one of those horror situations where you know what's happening. but They clearly don't know what's happening. Maybe there'll be like a podcast in a couple of years using sound bites from this. I'm like, this is where it all began. Found footage. Movie. Blair Witch. Mm. Something. Well, the story we're telling today isn't found footage. This is the story of Alexander Pierce, the convict. Get a boo. Mmm delicious Mmm Oh this is the second time We're actually talking about kind of Cannibals Last time we did a podcast it was on Boone Helm. That's true Which yeah. is kind of a similar Ish Story to this one Kind of yeah. This is more of a survival-ish they were kind of both survival-ish Like uh, with Boone Hell
1: he, wouldn't, he was out in the wilderness And Yeah he was like Eating people out of necessity Same with Alexander Pierce I guess I mean Again like both They kind of put themselves In a situation a little bit
0: Yeah 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 for sure For sure Yeah no uh, Absolutely right Keith he, You've done it again <laughs> Uh, so this is the <laughs> 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 uh. Alright, let's get into it. The tale of Alexander Pierce begins all the way back in County Monaghan, Ireland. Ireland, Ireland if you can believe it. They think we should up our Irish accents for this episode? Oh, I think so. Oh, yes. <laughs> really <laughs> fucking I lean into oh, it, you know? Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> Yeah, so he's from Monaghan, which is not terribly far, actually, from where we are. Anything good to say about Monaghan? No? Okay, moving on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I will say, everyone I know from Monaghan are, like, they're all nuts. Oh, yeah, yeah. A good friend of mine in college, he was from Monaghan. And yeah, he was nuts. mad. He was a cool guy, but yeah, he was, they're wild, wild folk. Nuts,
1: yeah. We're, where I went to college, it was, like, right on the border. So mm-hmm. we were quite close to Monaghan. Mm-hmm. And so
0: we would got a couple of heads from Monaghan in our course. And yeah, yeah heads, just, Big Monaghan heads on them. Every single one of them. Nuts. Well, but there really is nothing to do in Monaghan other than just like go crazy. I think that's it. Drink, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, uh, I got married in Monaghan. You did, yeah. That's well, end of list, I guess. Yeah. We had a we had a good time there. It was a the whole thing of like going in, doing the ceremony, leaving.
1: <laughs> it was it was a quick turnaround. Got in, got married. Then left. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Didn't even stop the
0: car. You know, did <laughs> yeah. the gas tank. Let's get it. Was it was like a drive-through wedding. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> So, at the end of the 18th century, which is when we are in the year 1790, Ireland was actually enjoying a period of peace that would, you know, stand in kind of contrast to what was to come. The north of the country had begun industrializing, and the south remained largely agricultural, and it had a good trading relationship with the Brits, and exported large amounts of meat and butter. And at the, at the start of the century, the Irish population was actually about 2 million. Mm. By the close, it would be uh, closer to 5 million. And then uh, next, you know, 50, 60 years, it would get closer to 8. This was that a uh, sweet spot in Ireland just before just before the famine. Yeah, kind of just before the shit hit the fan. Because it was like, it was close to 5 million in like 1790. And we just made it to 5 million, yeah. I think, like yeah. about a month ago again. Our story takes place in 1790. But in about 50 years, there will be the Irish famine. Yeah. When two- Actually... Have you seen the weather? Did you interrupt me, by the way? <laughs> but this is important. Okay. <laughs> it's for good reason. <laughs> this is about the weather. All right. <laughs> yeah, it's the about guys the weather. I'm
1: locked in. Keep this better again. There's a status yellow warning for this week for potato
0: blight. Whoa. Yeah, it's happening again, you, buddy. You're right. We are. F- we're fucked. Yeah. Big time. Oh, God, that <laughs> <happened>. <laughs> Fuck. You heard it first, guys. We're screwed. During the Irish fam, two million, two million people died. Two million people emigrated. Yeah. We yeah took a hit. Pretty much, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty much sucked. People ate all the potatoes and the potatoes were all gone. So there was kind of nothing to eat. There was a ton of cabbage, but yeah. That, well, that was that, well, the thing. It was cabbage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> fuck was cabbage. Um, but that was the thing. Like, there was, Speaking of cabbage, there was actually so, a lot of food in the country. A lot of food. But it was yeah. just, Not you know, for us. Not for us. No. The Brits. Our yeah. Ireland was a colony back then. So mm. the British rulers just kind of like took the food out of the country while we were all dying. So yeah. thanks. <laughs> That's another podcast episode. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's for, uh, we, we drink whiskey. Yeah, get angry. Yeah. It's all in good fun. It's all in good fun. And we deserve to die, if you ask me. <laughs> so, like most of the population time, Pierce, he was born, raised in a big old Irish Catholic family. He worked for most of his young life as a labourer on a farm, but it wouldn't be long before he found his calling in life. He put his ear to the wind and it whispered, Grah. That was good thank you thank you he was born to be a career criminal as is often the case when you go back you know in time as far as this one. records are kind of spotty to non-existent when it comes to the lowly people like alexander pierce so essentially for for most of his life we have to draw a detailed picture of his character from the reports that were made about him and there was a few and it all started in 1819. that was when pierce would commit a petty offense that would drastically change the course of his life as well as Several people unlucky enough to run into him along the way. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Alexander Pierce was arrested, charged, and tried in very quick succession with the theft of six pairs of shoes. Damn. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> people will do anything for those, like, Nike Air Max. That's it. Yeah, those Jordans. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So maybe we shouldn't be too harsh on old Alexander Pierce. All in all, a pretty small crime, but it would escalate dramatically. And so, for the crime of stealing six pairs of shoes, Pierce was to be transported to a penal colony in Van Diemen's Land. Yes, you heard me right. The hellscape that is Australia. Little harsh. <laughs> Actually said it as a joke, but when you think about it, it's mostly like desert. They got snakes, spiders, sharks, jellyfish, crocodiles. I don't think humans are meant to live in Australia. When you really think about it, and it's you know it's incredibly hot. I'm surprised, like, the first settlers stayed as long as he did. Fair play even though. Like, they stuck stuck their guns. They stuck it out. I will say, fair play to you. It was a fate worse than that at this time, being sent to Australia, which was pretty much one big open-air prison. Being sent to Australia, though, it was about as harsh as possible without actually being sent to, like, a life sentence in prison or being just straight up the short drop, sudden stop. It was pretty common to be transported for a petty crime, uh, more so than a serious one. If you committed, like, you know... Rape or murder, you were pretty much just put to death. It didn't even bother wasting how long it took you. And how long did it take you to go to Australia back in the day in, like, the 1800s? Oh, about, like, uh, seven, eight months. Seven, eight months on this, like, tiny, shitty little wooden ship. Like, it's been horrific. Australia must have actually seemed great by the time you got there because you're like, thank god I'm off this shit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I can stretch my legs. So Van Diemen's Land is the colonial name for what's now known as Tasmania. It was first established as a British settlement in 1803 and finally became a separate colony in 1825. Now, the penal colonies in Van Diemen's Land were notorious for their reputation as the most brutal and inescapable of all British penal colonies. The British had actually been using the idea of transporting their convicts abroad for forced labor for a long time before they actually began sending them to Australia. Like, prior to that, they would send them to America. They stopped doing that when the American Revolution happened. So, they were sending all their prisoners to America, but then they needed to find a new America, which was... Australia. Hmm. And they also needed a hell of a lot of labour to establish the colonies in Australia and so hence prisoners began. And over an 80 year period from 1788 to 1868, more than 150,000 convicts were sentenced to serve their time labouring in Australia's penal colonies.
1: I was going to say, it really was like, for a lot of these crimes, because they were so petty, the journey itself was punishment enough. Hmm. Like it took about 7-8 months to get there but they were usually kept in these Tightly packed quarters below deck uh, where conditions, they were, they were cramped, unsanitary, they were uncomfortable. Some prisoners some prisoners were often shackled or restrained to prevent escape or mutiny. And then living these conditions where, because they were extremely harsh, the, the prisoners, they had really limited space. And wow. they were provided with mi- uh, minimal bedding and rations as well. And yeah. uh, because of this, obviously, there was no sanitation. There was spread disease, malnutrition, illness, death. It's also worth noting that these vessels didn't carry just men either. Uh, women and children as young as 12 were documented wow. among the passengers en route to Australia's penal colonies. So,
0: not not a not a good ship to be on. No, Jesus, man, the women and children,
1: that was... Like, with Alexander Pierce, you steal a pair of shoes and then, like, seven, eight months in that ship alone should yeah. be punishment and then, you get to, and then it begins. <laughs> it. Exactly, and now, like, oh, all yeah.
0: right, now your yeah. that gets off me. You plank, now down. your punishment starts, what? <laughs> exactly, yeah, that was just the, that was just the opportunity yeah. (laughs) And that was it for, for, uh, yeah, 150,000 people, you know, uh, in this part of the world, in this part of Australia. And, uh, you know, a lot of the emancipated prisoners, when they had done served their would they would stick around. They would move to the free parts, the free colonies of Australia and then settle among the population there, which obviously is just a natural byproduct of the penal deportation system. See, a lot of people, you know, would have wanted to, All oh, right, I served my sentence, I want to go back to Britain or Ireland or wherever it is they're from, but they couldn't afford it, like, they would go to work in British settlements as labourers, I mean, we not exactly want to get a good job as a prisoner, but it would just take so long to save up money to try and buy passage back to Europe that they just wouldn't be able to, and then it would settle roots and, there you go, you're an Australian citizen now, essentially. I can't imagine you're like too eager to make that trip back either. Yeah, exactly, you are pretty just like, fuck that, I'm not doing that again, I'm oh, taking my chances. It's gonna be a whole year, like... Yeah, exactly, yeah, and, and it seems like your chances were not great, of no. even just surviving it, Or and it just seems like torture anyway. And life in those early days of Australia was hard for even the free people. The land was completely different to, you know, what they were used to back in Europe, farming far more difficult, way hotter, they didn't even have air conditioning if you can believe that. <gasps> Shock. Sure. I don't have recognitioning conditioning, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me neither. But, you know, you also don't live in Australia, so... That's true, too. Yeah. So life in a penal colony wasn't much fun, but, I mean, it also wasn't the worst. Like, there were levels to it. If convicts behaved, they were ultimately set free to join the population. If they misbehaved, well, even the most minor rural breaches could end up leading to a person being stuck in a never-ending cycle of torment, often with disproportionately severe sentences for even the most minor infractions. Punishments dished out on a regular basis ranged anywhere from being forced to wear leg irons while working to whippings or even solitary confinement. Much like today, once in the system it wasn't easy to get out and since the colonies were always in need of more and more labor, the British government was only too happy to keep shipping prisoners out. It's so warm in here it is um, absolutely sweltering. oh we should have the windows okay no, dude, work away. For the listeners, if it becomes loud it is just unbearably hot in here and it's like it's almost 10 p.m. We're recording this now and it's still so warm. I look Like, we're bitching, but, like, let me
1: check the temperature. It's probably whole like, 13 degrees. It's probably not hot, like... 19 at the moment.
0: 19. No, 9. 19, <laughs> 19. 19 degrees. <laughs> it's so hot. It is very hot. Very hot. Open the <laughs> window. If you hear beeping and roaring and a- hollering from outside, um, just ignore it. That's all I can do. Sorry. bye But uh, yeah, I was
1: looking up Alexander Pierce's uh, time while he was there, and he was, he was quite the troublemaker. He was a a minor rule breaker, as you were saying. On May 16th, 1821, he got busted for nabbing two turkeys and three ducks. The consequences? A whopping 50 lashes. Yeah. But that wasn't his only brush with trouble. On September 17th, 1821, his antics, while being drunk and disorderly, coupled with a disappearing act from his lodgings, earned him another sentence of 25 lashes. And not one to learn his lesson, Pierce continued his misadventures on November 26th, 1821, where his rowdy behavior and sticky fingers mm. for stealing some wine led to yet another round of 50 lashes. Got some sticky fingers for you right he here, does, yeah. Oh. <laughs> that, that's the heat. I hope, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> to top it all off, on November 29th, 1821, uh, Pierce's audacious act of swiping a wheelbarrow resulted in, you guessed it, another 50 lashes. And if that wasn't enough, he was sentenced to six months in the jail gang. Wow. He yeah.
0: was probably like breaking rocks and shit like that kind of stuff. Yeah, this was hard labor. Yeah. For six months. Like, he was already doing hard labor. So it's yeah. A harder labor. Exactly. I, it's almost like why would you like? I get he was a rule breaker, but this is so shit. You think you'd be like, I'm not breaking any rules. Like, it sucks. I can see the dur- the turkeys and the ducks and the why wa- the wheelbarrow. Yeah, exactly. I think he was just unless he was going to get me, more
1: yeah. turkeys and ducks. Yeah,
0: I mean he was he was sent here for stealing shoes, so I guess he was like maybe I'll steal a wheelbarrow. Yeah, he he's just had he a just had it. a compulsion. Yeah. yeah, but that wouldn't be Alexander Pierce's fate for long, or at least for a short while, because he would escape. Little is known about the details of his great escape itself. What we do know, and this is where the legend of Alexander Pierce is born, on the 20th of September, 1822, Pierce, along with seven other inmates, successfully fled the confines of the settlement. It seems that the men had all gotten uh, sick of the repeated beatings, as you were talking about, and floggings for every offense, um, which, as you said, were just given pretty much for, you know, for stealing, but also even for them just looking at jailers the wrong way, or scenes not pulling their weight enough. Death was a familiar sight to the men who lived in the colonies. In 1824, a prisoner named Trenum literally murdered another prisoner just to be put to death, rather than suffer through the rest. Of his sentence, that's pretty mad. He's like, "Kill me, do it to me, kill me." (laughs) So to put it simply, they all basically thought things couldn't be any worse. They'd rather take their chances in the bush than stick around for any more of this shite. Mm. I like to think they escaped in the same way they did from Escape from Alcatraz.
1: Oh. However, instead of using paper mache heads to fool the guards, Pierce, uh, being a spud head from Ireland, just used a potato. Maybe <laughs> yeah, exactly. with some eyes stuck on it. Yeah. <laughs> Through a smiley face and a potato. <laughs>
0: like, yeah, it's me. It took them weeks to figure it out.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so they, they made a run for it into the Tasmanian bush. Now, what they didn't know was that this was not a very good idea. Uh, it was an intense and harsh reality out there. You know, uh, like when you think of Australia, you're probably thinking of deserts, the bush, uh, airs rock, all this endless kind of like wilderness. Tasmania is uh, quite different. Tasmania is like kind of jungly and very, very dense uh, forests. It's basically, it's so dense you can't even see the sun at times. Probably even, even worse to navigate than a desert because at least in a desert you can see the sun And you can map out east-west. In a jungle, you can't even see this and you have no idea where you're going. And it's also harder to walk in because, you know, it takes you longer to get further. In a desert, you can see you're fucked. Where in a jungle, it's like, there could be something around the corner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Hope.
1: That's the worst thing. Don't do that. Don't give me up. But it really was, it was, and still is, a visually stunning place. Um, Mm. There was one Irish prisoner who wrote the following about Tasmania when they arrived. He said, um, to find a gale in one of the loveliest spots formed by nature in one of her loneliest solitudes create a revulsion of feeling I cannot describe. So, some
0: mixed emotions there. Wait, he well, said revulsional feeling? Well, I guess it's just because it's a lovely spot, but then also he's going to jail. Oh, OK, sorry. I thought he was talking about Tasmania. He was like, oh, screw this. No, he oh, like, was talking like, the jail. That was yeah, there. he's yeah, like, yeah, okay. it's, it's such a nice area. It's a shame to have a jail in it. Yeah, ah, that's very sweet, but also kind of like, OK, cool. So Tasmania, and in fact the vast majority of Australia, they had yet to be fully explored, let alone charted and mapped. One former escapee of Macquarie Harbour in Van Diemen's Land, James Goodwin, had even been pardoned and employed to help document and properly map out the same bush he would previously trekked to when he was escaping. Many people, including prisoners, thought that China was just a short hop away from Van Diemen's Land. Some thought there was even just a river between Tasmania and China. Boy, were they wrong. They were, like, so far off. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of ridiculous. But that was what the rumor was saying. Oh, guys, you know, China's just over there. We can make it. We can make it. And that's what people were doing. They were like, all right, we're going to go to China. Pierce himself considered China was where they were going. We're going to get to this jungle and China's like right there. (laughs) Like
1: the closest mainland to Tasmania is Australia. And that's separated by a passage of water called the Bass Strait. So maybe they thought that was the river
0: and I was that's that, like how, I don't know that, like that's pretty it's pretty big though like it's, the distance separating Australia and Tasmania yeah
1: like there was only one person who actually ever managed to swim this oh wow uh, this is actually within our, our lifetime it was in 96 it was uh, an endurance swimmer named Tammy Van Wise she uh, completed the world record of a from Kings Island Tasmania to Apollo Bay in Australia but it took her 17 hours and 46 minutes to wow. complete so. Even if by, like, some act of God, the prisoners managed to make it across the Bass Strait, they were still only in southern Australia, yeah. which is still, like, 7,000 kilometers yeah, from China. Yeah,
0: you're going to be walking for a
1: while. Yeah, they were so far off of the But navigation. you know what?
0: God bless Spears. That was his plan. He's going to steal himself a boat and sail off to Australia. Uh, so he was in for a bit of a surprise. So they set off into the Tasmanian wilderness. And just to tell you, like, in modern terms what the Tasmanian wilderness was like, in 2009, a group of six members of the Tasmanian State Emergency Search and Rescue Service, they set out to trek the same journey Alexander Pearce and his companions had undertaken. In an Australian Geographic article documenting their journey, the men described the hike as akin to, wait, I should do this in an Australian accent, akin to doing an old day gym session carrying a heavy peck <laughs> while taking a shower. <laughs> cut that, cut that, cut that. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. I I like it. It it sounded so good in my head. Try it again, try it again. Okay. Akin to doing an all-day gym session, carrying a heavy pack while taking a shower. Better? Nailed it. Bearing in mind, all these guys were in the emergency service, so they're all pretty fit as shit, if you want to say it that way. But yeah, they said it was really, really tough. So you can imagine, you know, what these eight escapees, Pierce and the seven others, had to go through when they had pretty much nothing at all. They probably were all malnourished. And etc, etc. And the time of year Pierce and the seven others had chosen was probably one of the worst times of the year. September in Tasmania often brought rain, hail, and snow, sometimes making the journey all the more arduous. In the end, Pierce was free for over a hundred days before being recaptured. When he was taken into custody, he had an absolutely horrific story to tell. He was asked to make his confession, and so a priest was sent to hear it. Pierce, along with his seven compatriots, John Mather, Alexander Dalton, Edward Brown, Matthew Travers, William Kennerley, Thomas Bodenham, and their de facto leader, Robert Greenhill, all managed to flee into the Tasmanian brush. But only Alexander Pierce came back. It really was a very impressive feat that they did
1: make it that far though.: Yeah, because when they left, they had like absolutely zero supplies and the the governor had actually come up with a funny little rule forbidding the cooking of biscuits Mm. or as they were known back then hardtack the reason behind this peculiar ban was the biscuits were considered escape food so they had a long shelf life making them perfect for stockpiling in preparation for escape so if you were planning to break free, don't forget to pack your forbidden biscuits. <sighs> but Pierce and the seven other men, they had nothing but a shirt in their back when they left. And mm. we know Pierce only made it out, but the fact that they, they made it quite a distance. I yeah, think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Having absolutely nothing. Yeah, I know.
0: Exactly. It is. It's quite impressive. Mm. And so they set out. Uh, as I said, Robert Greenhill uh, was there, Was the leader of this little gang. He was going to take in charge. Um, he had some skills, navigation skills, being a former seaman but it didn't take long for him to get all of them to get, like, completely lost in the dense jungles. It's because they're on land, not the sea. Yeah, I know. He was like, damn God, damn, God damn it, <laughs> damn If I was underwater, I would have saved us all. <laughs> Robert Greenhill, why he was the leader, Um, pretty much, he had the axe. It was literally one of those, like, I I had, he had the biggest rock. <laughs> yeah. So I'm taking charge here, pretty much. So it's like, yep. Uh, and him and his best buddy, Matthew Travers, they... um. They were essentially the leaders, the two of them, but Robert Greenhill, really. He became friends with his buddy, Matthew Travers, because they had been sent to Van Vanimseland together for stealing a boat when they'd previously attempted to escape from the Australian colony. And so, the eight men set out. Uh, Unfortunately for the men, the escape had taken place in the middle of a work shift on the east side of the island. And so they hadn't, as you said, any time to save up any supplies. Perhaps they presumed they would find civilization before too long or that they could fish, hunt, forage to survive. They hadn't realized quite how difficult bush life would be, especially when you were unprepared. It's not exactly, you know, Bear grills over here. Just drink your own piss, lads. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's what Bear grills would do. Exactly. Always drink your own piss. First up, own piss. But they, like, as you were saying, like, they really severely
1: underestimated the the thickness and density of the bush. Failing to grasp the true extent of the challenge, Um, the cause of their misjudgment was the presence of, have you heard of the horizontal scrub? Hmm. Tell me more. So it's a slender, it's a slender and abundant tree species notorious for obstructing travelers in Tasmanian rainforests. So its name derives from its tendency to grow vertical. And then the branches eventually collapse, forming nearly, like layers um, of dense vegetation. Historical records recount instances of explorers and mineral prospectors uh, precariously treading on elevated platforms of horizontally positioned branches unaware of the ground actually seven meters below them. Oh,
0: wow. That's yeah. crazy. So you're, you're walking on, you think this is like the forest floor, this bed of branches and stuff, but actually the forest floor is like meters and feet, feet below you. There is even accounts of like mossy
1: and decayed branches that would eventually send them plummeting into the depths of the forest, sometimes resulting in fatal outcomes. So you'd just be going up, I guess, what you think yeah. would be a hill. And all of a sudden, you'd snap through some decaying branches into, like, darkness. Yeah. And you'd just be in the middle of this, like, dense
0: forest again. Lost. Yeah, yeah, no way out, man. That's scary. And that's what they went out into. And I imagine, like, all those branches, they would almost form little barriers and walls and stuff like that. Like, it was like a maze. Yeah. Yeah, and then you can't even see the sun for a lot of it because it's so thick. Man, it kind of sucks. Not gonna lie, I would poo-poo that idea. You're getting a big old thumbs down from Mike over here. Not even, like, the, uh, the Aboriginal Tasmanians live in that area
1: that really? the convicts were trying to walk through. Like, they, they didn't live there. They'd use it for, like, quick passing to get through somewhere, but
0: they wouldn't live there. They, they survived them. along and they were like, yeah, no, we're not dealing with this shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what Alexander Pierce and the seven others went into. And, uh, in all fairness, they, they didn't do too bad. They went 15 days before hunger got to the point where they were desperate enough to, well, do anything to eat. According to Pierce, they were all close to delirium and decided that in order for the majority of the group to survive, one of them must die. Whether it happened as Pierce told it, we will never know. All of this story is taken from Pierce, and he told this story three different times, and the details varied every time, but the bulk of the story was the same every time. But according to him, the group decided to draw straws and whoever drew the short straw would be killed and the others would be eaten well that evening. The eight men drew their lots and it was Thomas Bodenham who came up short. I wonder what that must feel like. That's out of the tree lads? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this one uh, is not working. Uh, let's do another. Man, it must suck though if you get the short straw. I'd be like Just knowing. Yeah. yeah, knowing. All right, shit. So the killing duties went to the man with the axe, the leader, Robert Greenhill. and He was just dying to use it. Oh, man. He hit this axe. He was like itching, itching to use it. And he had no problem murdering, killing. I don't know what you'd say. Would you say that it's murder or killing? Yeah, it's murder. I'd say it's murder. Maybe Thomas Bodenham was like, all right, go for it, lads. Yeah, it's a murder though. Yeah, I guess so. And so they murdered, Keith's words, <laughs> not mine, Keith's words, Thomas Bodenham. That did scare the shit out of some of the others, uh, Dalton, Kennerly, and Edward Brown. They were like, um, actually, we're gonna leave. They didn't even stay for the food. They saw Greenhill kill Thomas Bodenham, and were like, okay, the prison wasn't that bad. Better than this. The three of them took off, and Kennerly and Brown eventually returned to Van Diemen's Land. They returned to the prison. Three of them left. One of them, Dalton, didn't come back. Hmm. this is likely what happened they were scared of watching one of the guys killing another guy so they could eat him they were like all right fuck this we're not taking part in this we're gonna leave probably at the other guy then you yeah, are like yeah. ah shit dalton they said he died of hunger and exhaustion on the way back wink wink maybe he did maybe he hmm. didn't who knows i wonder if they left because
1: it kind of seems like Greenhill did it with such ease yes that might be sense. more terrifying yeah. than
0: actually having to eat it was just like he was raring to kill him. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he was like, and he was like right. I'm not sticking around that guy.
0: Yeah, exactly. They were more scared of him than... I'll kill my own guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, Back at Camp Outlaw, the remaining group of Pierce, Greenhill, Travers, and Mather chowed down on the, well, the sadly murdered Thomas Bodenham, and they were safe from starvation for at least a while. Quite what was going through Pierce's head when he was tucking into old Thomas's time, meat, impossible to know, but you gotta wonder if it was like, thinking... All this for a pair of shoes, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so with their tummies full of Thomas, the four newly anointed cannibals continued on their journey towards freedom. They were still on their way to China. The river is just around the corner. We're, we're right around there and then it's a short little swim, having a great time. We'll put us all behind us. So now there was four, Pierce, the other guy, and Greenhill and Travers. Pierce, Mather, Greenhill and Travers, right? And, and Pierce, Probably realized at this point with the four of them that Greenhill and Travers, they were best friends. They were the two-man team. They had gone to Van Diemen's Land together, been sent to Van Diemen's Land together. So now there was pretty much Pierce and Mather and Blair was like, yeah, they're definitely going to team up and kill one of us. So we're, it's either Pierce or Mather is next, right? It's not going to be Greenhill or Travers, they're friends. And one of them has an axe. I wonder how much time they had between, by the time they kill the first person
1: to how long they get hungry again yeah. and need to kill another person. I wonder how many days it was.
0: Probably, I'd say about a week. Well, they were gone for, what was it, 50 days 50 altogether? Days and it was f- 15 days before they started. Yeah. So I'd say it's probably about a week in between, maybe-ish. So, not particularly relishing the idea of being a happy meal for the others, Pierce decided it was, well, hey, you're gonna team up with the strong people, of course. He buddied up with Greenhill and Travers. The last of Thomas finished, the men eventually got peckish enough that the time came to choose the next meal, boys well meat's back on the menu boys (laughs) nice according to pierce greenhill then quote unquote prepared mather and the remaining tree butchered his remains eating some right away saving and packing out the rest for the next leg of (laughs) uh leg of the journey before mathers was even dead let alone parts of him settling in his companion's stomachs pierce already knew he was fucked now three of them left, and again, Greenhill and Travers best friends. They were loyal to each other, Pierce knew he was next. But ironically, it was a combination of the bush itself and plain old dumb luck that saved Alexander Pierce. With their supplies of Mathers coming to an end and still no sign of, you know, Journey's End in sight, Travers, he was bitten on the foot by a snake. Obviously, the men had no idea what kind of snake it was, but whichever one got him, it wasn't the good kind. So with no anti-venom or even any treatment at all, Greenhill, the leader, insisted that Alexander Pierce help carry Travers along the journey for a whole five days after he had been bitten. Where just walking by yourself would have been difficult enough, he had to carry him along the whole way. The fact that Greenhill had insisted on dragging Travers along for days, that just proved to Alexander Pierce that the stroke of luck, that Travers hadn't been bitten, he definitely would have been killed. Maybe it was luck. Maybe Pierce summoned the spirit of St. Patrick. To attack Travers with one of his I snakes. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. I definitely think that's what happened. I guess we'll never know, but you yeah, know, but that's definitely what happened. That's definitely <laughs> what happened. Yeah. And if you disagree with it, you're just playing yeah. wrong.
1: I don't know what to tell you. All Irish people can summon snakes. That's why Saint Patrick had to banish them. It was it was too much for
0: power. Yeah, exactly. We were too powerful. Yeah. You know, that's what they, that's yeah. what they'd say. <laughs> but in the end, Robert Greenhill he had to admit defeat. Travers wasn't going to recover. In fact, he was just slowing them down with his rotting off foot from a snake. The decision was made, and he killed his friend, and once again, Greenhill and Pierce chowed down on his meat, tenderized with lovely snake venom, no doubt. Now there was two. They packed on, continued going. After weeks of trudging through the brush, it came down to Greenhill and Pierce. And, well, we're not going to talk much about Greenhill anymore, so you can probably guess what's going to happen. Both men became incredibly paranoid of each other. They wouldn't even turn their backs on one another. And in the end, it essentially came down to a mega staring contest, and Greenhill blinked first. Overcome with exhaustion, Greenhill fell asleep, and Pierce knew he had his only chance to survive. He grabbed the axe, and brutally and efficiently slayed Greenhill while he was sleeping. Pierce, no, he had, it was, I mean, it was just him chewing down on a whole human, and that would last him a little bit, but, I mean, his situation was getting worse and worse. He knew that, essentially, he has to find a settlement soon now. He had no more humans to kill, so it wouldn't really matter. He was all alone. He was all alone in the jungle. But the old look of the Irish was on Pierce's side once again. He came upon an Aboriginal campsite, and he raided it for food and supplies. Very soon after, Pierce must have thought he won the lottery when he came across a whole bunch of sheep. He took a lamb for himself, and it was the first time he sat down with a meal he hadn't previously had a conversation with. (laughs) However, then the flock, the shepherd approached, and thinking, "All right, I'm kind of screwed now. Like the shepherd's gonna send me back." Actually, turned out he knew the shepherd. Randomly he was like he was a mate of his. He was like, Oh hell yeah. Andres, first yeah, yeah, really, really weird. He knew the guy, he was like just randomly happened to know him. That's like that's
1: amazing. Yeah, pretty crazy. Like the only thing he needs to do now is stumble across an Irish pub in the bush.
0: Yeah, exactly. You (laughs) have a nice point. This old pal, old pal appears, he confirmed that he'd reached the settled districts. And even better, he'd give Pierce some work! Of course, you know, uh, being a criminal, that would have been, you know, illegal, but hey, it's hard to get good work these days. So and after spending a little under 50 days in the wilderness of the Tasmanian bush and eating three other people... We've got magic too, you know. We can make them...
1: Disappear! That's me lucky charms! they delicious! delicious. During this time, Pierce, he really was living his best life. The tree men, they shared land with the Big River tribe. Pierce, he, while he was there, he may well have witnessed rituals held around a, a special tree in this part of the world. The tree was called the Cider Gum, and it is a species of large tree native to the island of Tasmania. And Aboriginal people, they tapped the trees to allow sap resembling like maple syrup to collect in hollows in the bark or at the base of the tree. And then the ever present yeast that would ferment the liquid to make it alcoholic wow. into like a cider like
0: beverage. That sounds cool, I wanna try yeah. that. Right, so like alcohol was literally coming out of trees. He did have a look at the Irish. But then in the May edition of the Hobart Town Gazette, a £10 reward was offered for bringing Alexander Pierce in. He was a wanted man. £10 back then, serious chunk of cha ching. Mm-hmm. Pierce was arrested. He was taken back in along with two other convicts, William Davis and Ralph Churton both of whom were hanged for, uh, for bush ranging and fleeing a military escort. Pierce, who was locked up in a jail prior to being transferred to a colony, and it was there that Alexander Pierce had the urge to clear his conscience, and he sent for a priest to hear his confession and tell his story about what he had been up to in the Tasmanian bush. Alexander told, uh, told a story of grisly details of human butchery and cannibalism and up to all sorts. And what was their reaction to the story? That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I was it. he did not believe a word. This guy thought that Alexander Pierce was bullshitting this whole story and that his friends were still out there and were, were living as bush rangers somewhere in the wilderness. Try and convince someone. No, oh, I ate them. I call him bullshit on this one, <laughs> pal. And so he, he wasn't hanged. Only the, the indigenous people that they kicked off the land, the, the people who they colonized, the savages, would become cannibals. So that's probably one of the reasons why they didn't believe Alexander Pierce when he told him his story. They were like, no, you're not a cannibal. You have to be a, some, uh, you know, uh, indigenous, savage native to be cannibal. So they just simply didn't believe him. He didn't get off scot-free, though. Um, as a result of his escape, Pierce was transferred to one of the most inhospitable places, seriously, probably the worst place at that time, on Earth, called Macquarie Harbour Penal Station on Sarah Island. Now, Macquarie Harbour lies within Van Diemen Land itself, and it was reserved for repeat and the very worst offenders. Think of like Van Diemen's Land as, the, as a huge prison. Sarah Island was like the secure wing for high risk offenders. Macquarie Harbour was regarded as the worst of all the places to be sent. Food couldn't be produced on the land, so malnutrition and scurvy were, were very very common. Corporal punishment, routine. And so it's not surprising that Pierce, after being sent there, he was desperate to escape once again. And Sarah Island's remoteness, uh, it's about as extreme as it gets, especially in those days. It was thought to be inescapable purely because there was nowhere to escape to. Even inside these settlements and outposts, supplies were seriously limited. So once, you know, you could even, if you even managed to escape the guards, you would pretty much die anyway. I think kind of did it on purpose
1: with, like, you were saying like it was a barren land, but mm. I think when they set up this whole thing. They, they made the land burn mm. purposely for this. They just made
0: it completely inhospitable. Yeah. Like, this land sucks. How can you make it even worse for prisoners? Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you would think that, um, you know, Pierce freely admitting to killing and cannibalizing people and he had already successfully escaped, um, that, you know, he might be put under, you know, an extra eye. Not at all. Because less than a year later, on the 13th of November, 1823, Pierce managed to flee the camp once again and this time he had a companion, a young convict named Thomas Cox. Cox was from uh, Worcestershire, and he was only 21 years old at the time of his escape, and he had been transported to Van Diemen's Land in 1819, the same year as Pierce had been sent there. Cox was sent to Sayre Island for repeatedly breaking the rules and aiding several escapees. Far from the hundred plus days Pierce had managed earlier, 50 days in the bush and over 50 plus living on the land, being a farmer, whatever. This time, he only managed less than 10 days. And his companion didn't even make it that long, because Pierce, once again, came back alone. He was caught and taken into custody by a bush patrol on the 22nd of November, 1823. According to Pierce, he and Cox had made it all the way to the King's River when he suggested to Cox that they swim across the river. Cox couldn't swim. Apparently, this was news to Pierce, and he flew into a rage and then just murdered Cox, which was, I guess, a favorite hobby of his because then he shot him up, started chowing down, and put bits of Cocks in his pockets. His pockets <laughs> were full of Cocks, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he really was set, settling nicely into the
1: whole yeah. cannibal lifestyle, though. He, like, I mean, he
0: didn't need to kill him. He no. wasn't that hungry. He just kind of did it because he, he wanted to. Why, why not? Also, yeah, what yeah. was Cox's plan? I'll figure it out when I get there, Is maybe. It, you know, yeah, I yeah. I, I mean, it's an island. Like, you'll probably have to swim to get off At here. some point, you're yeah. going to have to swim, like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. maybe you find a boat. I don't know. But it's clear at this point that Alexander Pierce he had the hunger. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah. The Wendigo inside of me. The taste of man flesh. Yes, the man flesh. That's me lucky charms. So delicious! Manflesh. When he was taken in, Pierce once again readily confessed to murdering and eating Thomas Cox, and he also reiterated his confession of the killings during his earlier escape. But this time, there would be no escaping justice. This time, they had clear and obvious evidence that Pierce was telling the truth the whole time. Not only did they have the remnants of human flesh in his pockets, but Pierce had actually led his jailers to the mutilated remains of Cox's body. Ultimately, Alexander Pierce would be tried and found guilty of murder at the Supreme Court of Van Diemen's Land in Hobart, and there could only be one sentence. death by hanging. Before the sentence could be carried out, Pierce made one last confession. This was to the colony's priest, Father Philip Connolly. Once again, he re his story.
1: Jays, you know, I've eaten so many people. I forget sometimes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> at nine o'clock in the morning on the 19th of July, 1824, Alexander Pierce was given his last rights by Father Connolly before he was executed by hanging at Hobart Town Jail. And thus ended the saga of Alexander Pierce. Normal guy, stealing a few shoes, then full-on murder, full-on cannibal. Yep. <laughs> yeah, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, have you. I felt sad as if I'm getting into the end of the story. Feel free to add in. No, yeah, it's just a mad story. It's crazy that like, it started off with such a, a simple act of mm. stealing shoes. Stealing shoes and sent to Australia. Sent <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, the system of penal Colonies, by the way, just a fun fact, it continued until 1968. Jesus. The transportation of prisoners continued until 1960. It's actually kind of crazy to me that it continued that late. Yeah. Like, I thought, like it's sometime That's in the 1800s. Not that long ago at all. No. Yeah. They're still doing it until pretty, pretty recently. I would have thought like they would have stopped it in like the 1800s. Nope. Continued till like modern day. I did actually, I, I, I came across the Ireland-Australia
1: transportation database online. And I seen some of the crimes that people were reported for. This is back then though. There was a lot of crimes going on around shoes. Like, really? Yeah, like the list the list crimes, it was like stealing a pair of shoes, felony of shoes felony shoes and trousers there was also a lot going on with sheep stealing
0: well i guess sheep were probably like easy animal to steal so that's why they were stolen most yeah. than anything they're kind of stupid and they're like kind of small that like you could probably throw it up over your shoulder yeah. off you go. there was one guy to see that stole a cow fair play to him fair 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 play to you yeah probably stole shoes by the way as well because i mean everybody needs shoes and they're like pretty, you can't it's very hard to make shoes why do you sell sticks him and his dog. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you should leave it there. That all right. Thank you so much for listening. Um, it is absolutely sweltering in here. I hope it's hot where you're listening to this podcast, whether you're listening to it in the morning or chill in the evening. Whether the temperature is hot, I know one thing that's hot, and that's you listening to this episode <laughs> of the podcast. Nice. Yes, thank you. Here, thanks so much for listening. Check out that chapter on YouTube for all sorts of goodies. And uh, yeah, I guess I'll kind of just round it up All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Love you. Bye. All right. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye.